Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, it's been a week with fairly big market moves, so um, particularly on some days led by the US. So Blake, can you just give us a quick update on, on what you're thinking here? Yeah, Tuesday was actually, um, you know, a pretty astounding day. Um, you said amazing week. We were out on Monday. Um, you know, we saw global markets sell off. So there was obviously some catch up to do, I think, when um, U.S. markets came back, back in on Tuesday. But we far surpassed, um, I think, any kind of sympathy with with other markets. Um, you know, given the sell off that we saw in 10s and 30s, um, it, it was pretty focused at the long end. Um, you know, we were in probably one of the top sell-off days in the last three or four months, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting because the other days um, that saw really big moves like that, you can kind of name uh, because of the events that, that coincided with them. It was the day of the, uh, that the, the election was called for Biden and that we got Pfizer news. It was the day after the Georgia elections. Yesterday, we really didn't have anything going on. There were no big catalysts. There wasn't any kind of clear blaring uh, sell signal going on. It's just markets came in and um, started off on the back foot and, and really took it from there. It's also worth saying that this was entirely a race phenomenon. I mean, equities were essentially flat. We saw a little bit of dollar move, nothing really um, you know, that big. It, it was purely in the rate space. So in the end, I think um, you know, rather than kind of one big event, like some of those other big moves we've had over the last three or four months, this was really just a combination of a lot of little things adding up. I think we had some continuation of the reflation trade, even though it's worth noting that yesterday, um, you know, really wasn't in the break-even space. It was more of a real yield move, but still, I think there, that that kind of big reflation theme that's been going on for several months now has uh, was continuing into yesterday. Um, you know, obviously, we had tens and thirties supply last week, and we have twenties this week. So, I think long-end supply was probably weighing, and um, also there's kind of a technical piece to it. We came in um, and and very quickly moved past two levels. Um, you know, rate levels that I think a lot of investors were looking at in 10s and 30s, uh, 122% in um, uh, uh, 30s. So once we kind of went through those levels, I think there was a little bit of, of space for markets to run um, on, on the technical side as well. So all those things kind of combined and, and gave us a very big rate move on Tuesday. And it looks like at least on Wednesday when we're recording this, it, it is it is continuing. So we'll, we'll see how that uh, shapes up for the rest of the week. Okay, thanks, Blake. So Giles, we've had, well, fairly big moves also in Europe, although they haven't been leading the way, I guess, in, in the same way that the US and the UK have in the core rate space. Um, the other big move that we've had in Europe is in BTP Bund spreads, where um, investors have taken a lot of comfort, I guess, in a, a Draghi-led government. Um, and as once this podcast comes out, we will have published our updated forecast for BTP Bund as well. So can you just talk us through our latest thoughts there? Yeah, well, actually, I don't want to not mention the move in euro core rates, to be honest with you, which I think, you know, although it didn't match uh, 
basis point for basis point what we saw in the US. I mean, it's, you know, given the low volatility that we've had over the last several months, it was still pretty remarkable. And you know, I think that you know there are questions about um, how to interpret this in addition to you know, the international angle. You know, I mean, there's been a lot of supply and that was a little bit of a shock perhaps over the last couple of months compared to the end of last year. You know, we've been discussing things like gamma hedging, which, you know, I mean, technical, technical type of um, thoughts, but you know, can at times lead to these kinds of outsized moves. Um, and we've also you know, been talking quite a bit about you know, the level of belief um, that investors seem to have in a continuation of this move. And overall, you know, I just echo what we've just heard from Blake about uh, you know, the significance sometimes of shifting through psychological levels and technicals and so on. And, you know, one thing that we've been talking about a lot is this idea of breakout. And, you know, I mean, you know, we don't deal in technical analysis particularly, but, you know, it, it is quite remarkable what's happened on certain certain charts and, but at the same time we're not getting from investors that there is a lot of desire to particularly you know, chase this particularly aggressively this idea that you know low inflation is really the long-term theme and will just sort of naturally revert towards that is pretty persistent on Italy you know I mean as we've said in the last couple of weeks we're still we're still pretty positive and you know, even at these you know long-term tight levels in BTP spreads we think that you know compared to the whole sort of set of circumstances that we've seen at any point really over the last so five or six years since QE began really, we haven't really had quite such a positive mix. And remember that one of the things that we've, you know, that's the, that we've seen <clears throat> over this whole period is foreigners have been fairly significant net sellers um, over the long haul in BTPs. And now this is the kind of change that could actually bring them back in. So we're still positive. Great, thanks, Charles. Now, Theo, you've also had a big forecast change this week. You've upped your guilt yield forecast quite significantly, and actually, the the moves that we've seen in the market over the past week or so mean that we're actually not not that far away from your new target. So, can you just give us a quick rundown on on what what's driving that kind of change in view from you? Yeah, thanks, Imogen. I think it's um, well, as as um, Blake and Giles have mentioned, the market uh, is moving. I think for us, we need to make a clear difference between 2020 or even 2019, 2020, and now. We've been consistently bullish in the market. We had a 0.2% forecast for 10-year yields throughout 2020, and we've moved it to 0.75. So this is a clear shift simply because the reasons to hold guilds have changed. So if you think about it, you had politics that could provide support to the guild market and could provide a gap risk where the market just rallies simply because of fears. That's one. The other thing was about the Bank of England potentially delivering lower rates. And that has changed at the meeting, at the February meeting. So this is one reason. The other reason is really how that plays with economics. Obviously, the economic backdrop is getting better, and we talk about vaccine ro the vaccine rollout, and um, you know 
the theme is about the reopening of the economy. So this means that we rates need to adjust for that. And there are two more reasons that are relevant to that whole this story, I would say. One is really QE and potential changes or the, the buying you know, of bonds, asset purchases, or the a potential change, a slowdown in the purchases of those bonds. That's one. And that's obviously that will weigh on the market and will make gills cheaper. And the other reason is really supply. And we think that supply going forward will shift to the longer end of the curve. And once that happens, you have more duration coming in the market and that weighs on gills. So yes, this is a significant high conviction shift in terms of view and um, we are bearish gilts and as things stand as of today uh, the market has moved by 15 basis points since we put out the forecast and there are 15 basis points more to go okay what do you see as the biggest risks to those views then i think the one question that i have received and i think it is quite key is i'm thinking in a uk context and what can the UK market do? But this is, the, the UK is not just living in a vacuum, it's not living in isolation. And I think that one possible risk is that fixed income in general weakens. So if the continuation, and if we get a, an externally driven sell-off, but then we don't talk just about a 15 basis point sell-off in gilts. We talk about a 30 or a 40 basis point sell-off, which again will be very, very significant. So external, other markets, the euro, the US market, they could induce a deeper sell-off than what we forecast. And the other risk, which is at the opposite side, is if we do see an early shift in BOE narrative and language. As things stand, the BOE seems to be okay with a move higher in yields. But if we see a change in language, then this actually could be a big argument for yields to go the other way around up. So that could be a potential uh, risk to the opposite side. Okay, so I would say the big theme of, of this week really, as we've heard mentioned by, by Giles and Blake, and we're gonna do a bit of a deeper dive on that all together in a minute. But um, I guess just while in the context of your forecast, how much does inflation matter then? Yeah, inflation is, is, is a key component because when, uh, when we talk about central bank policy and when we look at the forecast horizon, at the two to three year forecast horizon in the UK, um, obviously higher inflation numbers create a, a bearish bias. So as things stand, we don't think that it will be an inflation story. I don't think that we will have really a, a, an acute inflation problem in the UK but I think the, 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 what the market will have to look at is growth and uh, you know, the labor market and to what extent the scarring is indeed so lasting, is so deep, is so damaging. And I think that this is where you could get the upset surprise. I mean, right now, clearly, inflation expectations are still high. We think that it will be difficult to exceed those high inflation expectations in the UK. Uh, in fact, today we had uh, an inflation number that came weaker. So we think that inflation per se will not necessarily drive the market this time, even though it is usually mentioned as, as an important driver of the fixed income market. Okay, thanks, Theo. So <clears throat> I guess just digging a little bit deeper on that inflation theme then from a kind of global perspective, you know, 
Blake, you talked about the um, sell-off over the past week or so, not having a single obvious driver as, as those bigger days moves have in the past. But one big theme has been this shift from markets being fairly pessimistic um, to fairly optimistic about inflation now rising again. Um, I guess there's a, a few different drivers of that. Giles, can you just kind of talk us through what, what those different drivers are and, and how they've uh, changed market-based inflation expectations? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is something that we've been talking about for several months now. And I mean, one of the things that um, I was trying to make the case for towards the end of last year is that the crisis might well be remembered as a sort of punctuation point between the very deflationary decade and you know, something that looks quite different over the next 10 years. But obviously, you know, the debate has shifted pretty quickly. Um, no, I mean, I, I would say in the short term, the the things that people are latching on to as potential triggers, obviously there's uh, sh- no more focus on fiscal policy, particularly in the US, and I'll leave that to, to Blake to discuss, but there's been a particularly interesting sort of debate um, you know, in the sort of high echelons of um, you know, opinion formers in, uh, in global economics about, you know, um, I guess, the discre- potential discrepancy between size of the stimulus and the the size of output gaps, particularly towards the end of this year, which certainly point towards potentially higher uh, inflation pressures building. Um, We've got, um, in addition to that, you know, obviously more confidence in the COVID recovery, which is something that you know, we have been trying to remind people again and again and again, you know, we should have more confidence in. And I think that that, that, that has been building with uh, relatively successful initial stages of vaccine rollout in, uh, in, well, in particular in the UK and uh, to a slightly lesser extent, but still pretty good in the US. Um, so I think it's you know, just that there's a bit of a cyclical story. On the tradable side, you know, um, global trade has been super strong. Commodities prices are picking up pretty quickly too. Um, now I don't think that people really know what to say about services in general, but you know I think that there will prove to be quite a lot of pent up demand to to come out um, you know, over the coming you know, couple of quarters, three, you know, two, two or three quarters. And you know, we may well see that the the firms that are there to service that demand are actually a little bit on the cautious side. So I'm just going to leave that there. I think that there's you know, a pretty heady mix potentially for for inflation. And although you know we're not talking about you know a dramatic rise in inflation to way above target or anything like that in the short term. I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, I'm I, I'm one of the more optimistic members of of, uh, of our group on a reflation. And no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I certainly don't have that kind of scenario in mind. But I do think that the skew of risks that many investors had in mind, particularly in Europe, was far too much to the downside. And I think that there's a shift of emphasis going on at the minute. Okay, so what about in the US, Blake? I mean, you know, markets are pricing inflation quite high, but it's still not at the peak. You know, we've we've certainly seen higher levels. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, listening to Giles there, like, I I don't actually disagree with him that much in kind of the shorter run that that you know this kind of COVID recovery story that we're going to get out of the other side of this um you know probably in in the second half sometime and 
you know, vaccines and everything are going to allow us to get back to some semblance of normal. We're going to see a boost in, in services and, and kind of pent up demand that's going to give us a temporary um, boost inflation. And I think that's a, a very, very consensus story. I mean, I honestly, I, I don't think I've talked to an investor in the last three months that that hasn't generally agreed with that point. Um, you know, you see it in the price action, you see it what's in, in what's going on in markets. I think what's more um, perplexing to me or the part that I disagree with more is more um, the structural side and kind of what happens after a year or two. And, and have we really changed um, kind of the nature uh, of, of either the, the, the central bank's response function or, or uh, something about the nature of inflation? Is there something that's shifted um, you know, that, that really kind of changes that forward-looking uh, measure of inflation? Because it's not just that break-evens have gone up in the U.S. I mean, we've also seen forward measures of inflation, five-year, five years at uh, 240, 250, somewhere in that range. So, um, you know, and, and that's been a steady march up. Um, and, and so that's the part that kind of intrigues me and what's really driving that. And, and I question sometimes why we should think that, um, you know, we're going to be uh, in, in this kind of different regime after all of that kind of boost, you know, that temporary boost in services and, and people getting back outside after the pandemic, after that kind of wears off, what leaves us higher? I mean, you know, we have had the, the feds change, um, you know, change their framework to this flexible average inflation targeting, which, which essentially just means that, um, you know, they're going to presumably allow inflation to run hot in the future, uh, more so than in the past. But, you know, to that point, I, I borrow a line from one of our colleagues, Brian Dangerfield, who, who when that policy was announced, said, you know, just because uh, his favorite football team, the Giants, say they're now going to try to win two Super Bowls in a row instead of one, uh, you know, <laughs> okay, great, that, that's fine. They can't even win the first one. So um, I felt kind of the same way about the Fed. I mean, they've been, you know, through all the, the easy policies of the last, you know, of, of the post-financial crisis period, haven't really been able to generate, um, you know, meaningfully higher inflation. I mean, there's something structurally going on. And, um, you know, I think moving to this flexible average inflation targeting, yes, on the margin, it does mean we have higher inflation. Um, you know, the Fed's going to allow higher inflation longer run, but um, will that actually come? And, and you know, that's where I have some doubts. I think a lot of the, the recent boost and the more kind of recent uh, uh, leg to this reflation story has really come on the U.S. fiscal story, as, as Giles mentioned. Most of the moves we've seen followed, um, you know, Biden um, being kind of proclaimed the winner of the, the presidential election. And then that got another second leg uh, after the outcome of the Georgia elections when it became clear that um, Democrats were going to have a, a trifecta in government. They were going to be able to kind of push through some of these fiscal policies that I think in the interim between Biden uh, the Biden victory and, and these Georgia elections, everybody was a little unsure, including me. I was very pessimistic on um, you know Biden's ability to get anything fiscal done if Republicans still had uh, had control of the Senate. So that Georgia election really, I think, gave this whole thing a boost. Everybody started kind of pricing in um, you know uh, higher fiscal expectations. But again, I, I I I'm left wondering what's really driving the last leg of this move in the last two or three weeks when, you know, all of that, uh, of all of the fiscal package has essentially pr been priced in at this point. So, so what's continuing, uh, to push us higher and higher. And, and, and I think that's, uh, that's a question I'd still like answered. So a question I'd like to answer then off the back of that is, is what, where does this leave you really with your treasury view then? If you think that nothing, I guess, has changed in terms of the long-term view, does that mean that treasuries are now in the right place? You know, we've reached the kind of highs of, of recent ranges, as, as you said at the beginning, um, or do you still see further to go in, in nominal rates? Well, it's funny because what I was just saying sounded very pessimistic, but I still find it very hard 
uh, uh, to get long treasuries here or to, or to, to get out of steepeners and, and, you know, in turn, start looking at flatteners. Um, you know, yes, steepener positioning is crowded. Yes, I think some of this stuff is overdone. But as we said, I, I still do believe that we have some kind of second half bump. Um, and, and so it's really, um, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a timing issue here in that, you know, yes, I, I see higher yields by the end of the year. I see steeper curves by the end of the year. But I do think in the interim, in, in the next two or three months, you know, it's going to be, I, I think at some point there's going to be a little bit of a struggle to continue uh, this momentum, unless we get some other fundamental catalyst really develop, um, you know, whether that's uh, uh, the passage of the first stimulus package, and then, you know, the Biden administration immediately starts talking about a big infrastructure bill that would give us a boost. You know, I think we're going to need something like that to, to really give us, uh, um, you know, to keep the wind in the sails of this trade in the near term. So um, I guess my, my point is, if I if I see yields higher at the end of the year, and I still think there's kind of near these near term risks that you know, uh, uh, we get a quick passage of stimulus and start talking about infrastructure. Um, you know, I, I think the Fed's essentially on the backseat for, for the next few months. I don't think they're going to come out and do anything that's really going to push yields lower. So it's very hard uh, uh, to kind of fight against this movement. I think the right position at this point is basically to stay with it as long as the music's still playing, even though, um, you know, I, I have some uncertainties and questions about what's really driving uh, uh, this whole reflation trade. Okay, thanks. Um, and I guess, well, not really surprising given what we heard from you um, earlier, Giles, with, with regard to your view on this kind of reflation theme. But we've been saying for a few weeks now that, um, you know, nominal rates in Europe is really where the best opportunities lie, because that's the market that has so far not played catch up, if you like, to the, the shift in market-based inflation expectations. Uh, do you still think the same? I know I've kind of already answered that question for you, but if you could just give us yeah, kind of more detailed answer might be good. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that I've repeated again and again and again and again in um, in conversations with uh, with investors this year is that um, you know I just think that the European fixed income has become so conditioned by this idea that we're in this um, this long term kind of low inflation type liquidity trap. You know, I mean, I, I suppose after years, you know, there's even probably been selection bias. Whereas if you where by if you didn't believe that, you probably haven't been very successful. Um, you know, and I, I I do think that we are you know we're talking about nothing really less than a, pen, um, a paradigm shift here. You know, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go into this in any detail, but no. I, I I was just noting down a few sort of longer term factors that I think actually you know, go, go some way to answering Blake's questions about what keeps this inflation sort of you know, in, 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 or in higher inflation theme going beyond um, you know, this year or you know, perhaps the beginning of next year once this fiscal boost kind of sugar rush maybe you know, dies away and you know, I can see you know globalization kind of you know, going into reverse supply chains shortening um, I can see you know expenditures um, on on green investments you know with very very long term payoffs um, I think that migration is probably past its peak I think you know aging is probably more inflation than people realize um, I think that digitalization probably I mean especially compared to the years just after the financial crisis you know I, I, I think that that revolution is probably is more likely to give way now to to regulation of big tech and that's more likely to be inflationary as well so I can see lots and lots of reasons why this could continue to go but I'll yeah. that's a, another an, another podcast perhaps 
<laughs> Sounds like we've done a very in-depth podcast on that alone. Um, so Theo, just, I guess, to bring you in on this, because I know that you look um, from our side on, on the strategy side at inflation very closely. How do you think investors are really feeling about this? Do you think that everyone thinks that the risks have now shifted towards higher inflation, or is this just... Um, uh, you know, a short-term view, or are we really moving away from uh, that kind of very low expectations of of inflation? I guess, particularly in Europe. Yeah, I think um, th- this is quite a good question. I think th- th- the interesting part is what's going on with the front end of the curve. Uh, not a lot of guys. Uh, have been positioned for this, this unusual rebound in inflation expectations. And it's it's unusual because really this is driven by the very front end of the curve. So as things stand, I think that in the US, it's very much a front end uh, driven story, a front end inflation story. Um, because if you are to see that rebound in inflation, you're more likely than not to see it now rather than much later. So the, 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 this, is, this is, I think, uh, clear. I think this is why if those who look at inflation steepeners, well, they may have a hard time uh, in the U.S. because, well, it's uh, the, the dynamics aren't here. And also in terms of investor positioning, I think that the additional flows can still be supportive um, uh, at, at the front end of the curve. Now, the other thing that we see is that there is some support for the front end of the U.K. curve because the U.K. did lag in terms of inflation. And this is something that, can play supportive, you know, that it has lagged. So it is like the cheap inflation market. But today's print didn't show that inflation does rise at a fast pace to justify uh, expectations. So I think that the UK will continue to, uh, you know, to be a market that does lag. Um, well, on euros, actually, uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I will leave it to, to, to others to comment. But if something, I would say that uh, for me, among all those markets, the U.S. is really the market where you can see, and we have seen actually that the rebound. And this is also why we think that uh, one of our themes, one of our key themes that we played it in 2021 year ahead, which was to be bullish on the front of the U.S. Uh, inflation curve, that this theme still holds. Great, thank you, Theo. So it sounds like this is a theme that we're going to return to in in many weeks to come. So I look forward to continuing this discussion, um, given we have a lot of differing views uh, on the team, certainly, and I'm sure there's a lot of differing views out there as well about, about this theme. So I look forward to talking about this more in the future. Thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.